I made a terrible mistake about three or four years ago. I was interviewing a lady for a position here at the school, and I failed to ask a critical question early in the interview process. Now, my process is this. I, I receive resumes and cover letters. I look at those. I kind of do some research on what they tell me in a resume and a letter. Uh, and then if I want to take it to the next level, I invite them to fill out an application, and that gives me more information, and I do some more research. And um, if, if I want to take it to the next level, then I invite them, if they're close, to come on site for an interview, or we meet online on a, on a face-to-face interview online, um, but it's just me and them. And if that goes well, uh, then I invite them to come on campus. Now, now somewhere in this, I've, I've passed on documentation to other staff leaders at the school, and I invite them to come on campus for a series of face-to-face interviews on campus. So, so this particular lady, um, she, she spoke the talk about her spiritual walk with the Lord, um, spoke about her involvement in her church, which is one of the top things that we look at. And so everything looked positive, and her qualifications were out of the roof academically. And so we invited her to campus. The school paid for her to fly in. And I met with her, spoke with her, and then I took her to a group meeting. And I asked her a question. The first question in that group meeting was about Jesus and him being the only way to the Father for our salvation. And the answer she gave me, I knew then we were not on the same page. And I was so annoyed at myself. (laughs) Because I should have asked that question weeks earlier. Weeks earlier. So we went through that meeting and we said goodbye to her. And I went to her church's website because she gave us the name of a church, I always asked about the church, and I went to the church's website, and sure enough, there it was. So naturally, I didn't pursue her as a candidate, so why not? Am I intolerant? (laughs) Am I bigoted? Am I sanctimonious? No, I'm serious about the ministry of God's Word. I'm serious about those who stand in a classroom teaching your children on where they stand in their relationship with God. And the church is the same. I asked Pastor Michael this week to give me the process that the church goes through, and it was very similar to what we as the school go through. Why? Because we're serious about the ministry of God's Word. Because God's Word is the highest authority in our lives. So last week I challenged you with a thought. Are you a consumer or are you a contributor to the ministry of God's word, to this body? Now I'm going to read the first few words of a verse in a psalm, and I don't want you to put it up on the screen yet, and I want you to finish it. Unless the Lord build this house, the people labor in vain. All right, you can put it up. Unless the Lord build his house, the people labor in vain. That's, that's a motivating factor for us. Because you and I don't want to get 10 years, 20 years, 50 years down the road and, and look back at our lives, look back at our business, look back at our church, look back at our school, and realize that in our busyness, of work for the Lord, we left out the Lord. That in our busyness to serve the Lord, we failed to walk with the Lord. Because unless the Lord build the house, you and I labor in vain. It's interesting to me that Solomon wrote these words, and I'm curious, and I actually did some research this week to try and figure out when in his life he wrote the psalm, And I couldn't find that out. Maybe it's out there somewhere. Because Solomon didn't do a great job at having the Lord build his house. 
In fact, late in Solomon's life, he wrote this, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. How sad if we would ever get to that point far down in our lives and think that everything I'd strived for was vanity. But here's the big thing, right? Is there any time in our lives where we cannot turn that around? God working in us. Absolutely not. Any time in our lives, at 5, 15, 50, 100 years old, we can look at our lives and think, all has been vanity. <laughs> I haven't allowed the Lord to build his house in me, in my family. And God can do something about it if we will let him. At any point, at any point in our lives, we can make that transition from being consumers in his body to being contributors in his body. So this leads me to another question. Why are you here? Now, some of the pastors mock me about the way that I say here, and that's all right. I think the Lord is going to help you one day to talk pro proper English. <laughs> so what are you doing here? Why do you come to Pathway Church? If you're looking for a church with safe and caring childcare, this might not be the church for you. If you're looking for a church with exciting and fun-filled children's ministry, this might not be the church for you. If you're looking for a church that has a vibrant and a growing youth ministry, this might not be the church for you. If you're looking for a church with inspiring worship, this might not be the church for you. If you're looking for a church with teaching that, that treats God's word, word with diligence and respect, this might not be the church for you. If you're looking for a church with ample opportunities to fellowship and meet good people, this might not be the church for you. Now, Pathway Church is all of the above, and we strive to do all of the above with excellence, but you should not make any of the above, any of the above, your primary reason for coming to church. Your primary reason for attending and getting involved in any solid, believing Bible church, which we are, is twofold. God has put you in this body. And you are committed to contribute to the life and health of this body. If your primary reason for being here is not to contribute, but is one of the above, then when we have a bad day, which we sometimes do, God just might tell you to go somewhere else. But if your motive for being in this body is to contribute to this body, is to be open to the Lord to do whatever he wants to in you so he can do something through you, then when we have a bad day, you'll come and say, how can I pray for you? How can I support you? How can I encourage you today? God has called every single one of his children to be contributors. Every single one of us has a role to play. And if you call Pathway Church your home, then you have a role to play in this church. There are ways that you can contribute to it. Add to the ministry of it. So I want to encourage you to pray a simple little prayer. Lord, what is it that you want to do through me in this part of your body? Because we all want to be used by God. 
right? All of us, we all, we all want a sense of worth and value that God is using us. We all want to be used by God. But another big question is, are you usable? There's a big difference between wanting to be used and are you usable? And I know that that comment kind of stings, doesn't it? So I want to propose a variation of that prayer. Lord, what is it that you want to do in me so that you can do something through me in this part of your body? That last song that we sang, we're waiting for the walls to come down. We're looking for answers to prayers. We're yearning after God for something in our lives. And maybe something is holding you back from being a contributor. Maybe there's something going on in your life that you haven't allowed God to develop and, and, and feed and nourish, and you feel inadequate. You feel like you can't contribute. I want you to pray this prayer. Lord, what is it that you want to do in me? Do something in me. I yield my life to you, my heart, my mind, so that you can fill me, so that you can use me. In John 7, Jesus said these words, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, now, did you see the progression in that verse? We're sitting here and we've been fed in worship and in teaching and we've been fed from the time we walked into these doors with the friendly greeters and it's like we're drinking the Spirit of God. We have, we, you have been ministered to from the moment you stepped on campus. The ministry of God's Word has been active and you've been drinking it in. And the natural progression in our walk with God, the natural progression is, is, is when we drink in God's spirit and his living water, Jesus said it, there is a spring that just gushes out from us. That there is this desire that we want to contribute, that we want to be used by the Lord in some way, in some fashion. This morning we are going to continue looking at the conflict in chapter 6 in the book of Acts. And we'll, and we'll go verse, verse by verse again, briefly, quickly. And then we will look at five qualifications of a contributor. Five qualifications of a contributor. Verse 1, Acts chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Two things are evident in this verse. First of all, there were already some kind of program set up to help those in need. That's evident. And secondly, we, we know that there was tension between the, the Hebrew Jews and the Greek Jews probably existed before they came into the church. It manifested itself in the church. We don't know how ugly this conflict got. But we do know from the language in this passage that this wasn't just a, a friendly, politeful observation. <laughs> the word for complaint means to grumble. They were irritated. They were upset. Is that okay for things that concern us about the church to be voiced? Absolutely. And, and, and we as leaders in the church and staff members want to hear from you. But as I said last week, when we bring that to church on Sunday morning, it, it takes away from the ministry of the word. We invite you to come during the week and share that those things with us. Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. 
the apostles were so sure of where their place was in the body of Christ, they were not going to be deterred from it. They are not suggesting that taking care of Greek widows was menial, but they were focused on the task that God had called them to. Verse 3 and 4. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The words there that we will devote ourselves, it means intense persevering. We're going to be intensely persevering in the cause that God has called us to. We will be devoted, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Verse 5 and 6. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. That, that means a convert. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. So the apostles set the standard. The workers were chosen from within the body. They, lay, they laid hands on them. They prayed over them. They commissioned for the task. They took this extremely seriously. And look at the result, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multitude greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. God was doing a good thing, a wonderful thing, in spite of the opposition. And when God is doing a good thing, the devil increases his tactics. Reading on verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. I just love this part. So they elected somebody, they chose somebody, to go and minister to Greek widows, okay? Seemingly menial task. And then those that opposed Stephen gathered the best thinkers from all of those synagogues, and they were no match for Stephen, filled with the spirit and wisdom of God as they debated. I think that's pretty awesome. I think that's pretty awesome. Verse 11. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. In face of extreme hostile witnesses, Stephen would go on to give one of the best defenses of the Christian faith ever. In chapter 7. Up until this time, the religious leaders had limited their opposition to imprisonments and a flogging here and there. But the church is forging forward and the church is growing and the devil's stepping up his, his opposition and the fury of the devil is going to be unleashed on the church. And Stephen would pay the price as the first martyr. Are the Christians deterred? No. Why not? Because Jesus said, I will build my church. And what a marvelous thing that is. God is building his church. God is building this church. Amen? So this chapter that records this first conflict and the first formal appointment in the church of a group of contributors lists five qualities that I want to draw out from these verses. Spirit-filled, good reputation, full of wisdom, full of faith, and full of grace. But before we look at those five, 
I want to establish three, three separate things, just briefly. First of all, the early church took this very, very seriously. Okay, I've said that multiple times already. This was an important appointment to the early church. Second, I am convinced that the work that these men were appointed to was not limited to just waiting on tables. It was not limited to delivering food to Greek widows. Now, this is assumption. Okay, I'm being very careful separating Wayne Smith's assumption from thus saith God's word. Okay, this is assumption. I've got three reasons for this. Number one, there's nothing in this passage that suggests it was limited to just serving tables. Second, one of the workers they appointed to had a brilliant biblical, theological, historical mind, Stephen. That doesn't mean that the brilliant people shouldn't be waiting on tables, but he was a great expositor of God's word. And third, a highly respected church leader in the late first century, Ignatius of Antioch, actually wrote that deacons were used in his church to write letters and to help with the ministry of the word. So therefore, it's safe at least for me to conclude that this group were not just limited to a task of feeding the needy. And the third thing, is that the list of qualifications that they looked for in these workers would become the basis of qualifications for all contributors to the body of Christ. In fact, throughout the New Testament, you see these qualifications over and over and over again. I'm not saying that they're the only five qualifications, but the apostles were laying the groundwork for what would be 2,000 years of church history where we would emphasize these qualities. Now, I want to prove that to you by looking at verse 2 and verse 4. If you can, and show, on, show up verse 2. Show, show verse 2. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. The word there, serve, comes from the Greek word diakonen, which comes from the Greek word diakonos. And the word diakonen means to serve and to minister. Okay, you with me? So the apostles are saying that we need to elect people that will diakonen, go serve and minister. So look at verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The word ministry, there in the Greek is diakonai. In verse 2, it's diakonon. Verse 4, diakonai. Comes from what Greek word? The same one, diakonos. And what does diakonai mean? Service and ministry. Now these are one of those little gems that we find hidden in God's word that just excites us. I'm not sure if the apostles were intending for this, but I'm convinced God was. When Luke quoted them and wrote these words in verse 2, the apostles were electing people to do service and ministry. And then in verse 4, they said, we will not, neg we will not neglect service and ministry. Every one of us, who contribute to the body of Christ are engaged in service and ministry. And there is no difference in significance between those who greeted you at the door with a smiley face and someone who stands up behind on, on the platform and the 50 other people around this campus involved in ministry. We are about service and ministry. And you as a contributor to the body of Christ is about service and ministry. As a contributor to the body of Christ, every one of us are servants and ministers. So let's look at these five qualifications. Spirit-filled. This is potentially a controversial topic. 
But being filled with God's Spirit is not validated or not verified or not proven by miraculous manifestations. I'm not saying that I do not believe in the miraculous. I do, and God can do whatever God chooses to do. I'm not trying to put God in a box. But being filled with the Spirit is about surrender. It's about opening your heart and your mind to the Lord and allowing Him to invade you and to fill you and to occupy you. Being filled with God's Spirit means that you have fully yielded your life to Him. You have no goals that are more important, no purpose more fulfilling than to walk in His ways and to be a contributor to His body. It means God's Spirit has you and you have Him. How much does He have of you? Is a related question. Now, if you're looking for evidence of being filled with the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-controlled. The moment someone is saved, are they suddenly filled with love, joy, patience, patience kindness, gentleness, self, selflessness, self-control? Possibly, possibly, but hardly ever. When we give our hearts to the Lord, God's Spirit comes into us and we're saved in an instant. But almost always, 99.99% of the time, this pathway to be filled with God's Spirit and to have these, these qualities of love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and self-control, they, they grow in us as we journey with the Lord. And as we allow God to grow these in us, and as the flesh decreases, so God increases. And so we grow in Him and be filled with His Spirit. I've, I've, I've thought of a way that I can illustrate this to you. And the best way that I can, I think, is to give you some dating advice. Okay? And this is really geared to the ladies. Um, but you men need to listen because this is very helpful to you too. So if you're a single lady, whether you're 15 or 50 or 100, just wave your hand. Just let's see. Do you have any single ladies? Yes, we have a few. Okay, okay. So ladies, this is the best dating advice you ever, you, you'll ever get, and it's free, okay? And Masters Academy students have heard this from me multiple times. If you're dating a guy who disrespects his mother... I've got two words for you, two words of advice. Somebody's saying, dump him. <laughs> if you're dating a guy who lies to his parents or lies to his boss or lies to his friends or cheats on his taxes, dump him. Why is that? Saying I do at the altar does not suddenly change character flaws. And he might be lovey-dovey and cozy, cuddly, and he might tell you you're the best thing since sliced bread. If he disrespects his mother, he'll disrespect you one day. If he lies to his parents, he'll lie to you one day. So what's the point? When we give our hearts to the Lord and we have all of these character flaws and we're all messed up inside and we come to salvation in Christ, God starts this wonderful sanctifying work where he starts changing us and molding us. Now that guy that you're dating might change. He might. I would caution you that trade carefully. But if he will yield his heart to the Lord, if he will allow God to change his life, he might be a good bet for you. He might be the one. <laughs> and if we will allow God to change, if we will allow God to fill us and mold us and fully take control of our lives, those character flaws, those shortcomings, those besetting sins, are going to slowly fade away. 
I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm talking about growth in Christ, being filled with His Spirit. It really doesn't matter what we call it. Sanctification, total surrender, full consecration, being filled with the Spirit, baptized by the Holy Ghost. What's important is that you fully surrender to Him. Second, good reputation. Proverbs 22 verse 1, a good name is more desirable than great riches to be esteemed as better than silver or gold. And you might say, Wayne, I have a stinking reputation. You know what? According to some people, so do I. But don't let the past, don't let the devil use your past to keep you from contributing to his body. Because if you do, you, you will be locked and chained to your past forever. And the devil wants to use your past to strangle your potential as a child of God. Don't let him do that. Third, full of wisdom. Those that were called to this task had to be full of wisdom. I actually know a little bit about Greek widows. My sister is one. My sister has lived in Greece for about 40 years. About 12 years ago, her husband died. I've been to Greece multiple times, and Greek widows uh, very, very seldom will, will marry, will remarry. And a lot of them dress up in these long black gowns and my, uh, for the rest of their lives, actually. And my sister did when her husband died. My sister wore this long black gown for a couple of weeks, and then she stopped. She's a kind of an anti-culture type person. She hasn't married again. Um, but it must be very hard for somebody to suddenly be a widow. How much harder it was 2,000 years ago when widows had lost their support and their partners and their protection. I think one would need a lot of wisdom to minister to widows. A lot of grace and love. The fourth qualification, full of faith. Now, we, we know that there are variations of faith. You sitting on a chair ex is exercising faith, right? That the chair is going to hold you up. That's faith. But what the apostles are, are talking about here is this kind of faith that we have in God, that we have this full assurance that we are his, that, uh, that God's spirit has witnessed to our spirit that we are his children, that we have a testimony to being saved, that without a doubt, we know that if we die, we're going to heaven. We have that assurance. I'll come back to that in a moment. And then the last qualification is full of grace, full of grace. Grace is undeserved favor. When, when God gives us his undeserved favor, a natural response is for us to show grace to others. This whole process of listening to the complaint, taking this need seriously, carefully appointing workers, commissioning them to do the work was bathed in prayer and flavored with grace. You might say, Wayne, I have none of those qualifications. If you're a Christian, you have all of those qualifications. Some of them are just not showing up yet. Seriously, God wants to grow them in you if you will let him. If you will allow him to fill your heart. If you will, if you will allow him to give you measures of faith and wisdom and grace. Look at what you were handed when you, when you came to church. And if you look on uh, the inside, the third panel has, has a list of ways that you can contribute to this body. We, we need you. We need your service. 
The children's ministry is not listed here, but they need workers. Childcare needs workers. Security team needs workers. There is a lot of things that you can contribute to in, in the body of Christ. And you might say, but, but based on what you've said, I'm not qualified. I don't have full measures of faith or grace. You can, and you do, and allow God to equip you and fill you and mold you. If you want sunlight to enter your room, you must open the blinds. If you want a breeze to enter your room, you need to open the windows. If you want God to flood your life with full assurance of his acceptance and love, you must open your heart to him. One of my favorite Bible thinkers is a Scots preacher, name of McLaren. He says this, no one that ever with love and longing lifted an empty hand to God dropped it still empty. He also says that no one who with penitence of his own act and trust in the divine act lifted bloodstained and foul hands to God ever held them up there without the gory patches melting away and becoming white as snow. I love that. I'm going to read it again. Listen up. No one who has ever with penitence, a sincere repentance, and trusting in God's divine act, lifted foul-stained hands to God, who has ever held him up, has not seen those gory patches fade away. You have to have faith that when you offer him your mess, he's going to cleanse it. When you confess your sin, he's going to forgive you. And when you have besetting sins that occur over and over and over again, we in this church want to help you walk through that. Sometimes you just need somebody to talk to. Matthew 5 verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Are you hungry and thirsting after him? Are you hungry and thirsting to have God fill you, to equip you and to use you? As we wrap this up, I want to tell you about John Wesley. And I know I mentioned this some, some time back, and some of you might be very familiar with his life. John was raised in a pastor's home, grew up in the church, loved the Lord, he loved to serve but he struggled with this inner assurance for years. He, he went and studied. He was ordained. He was in the ministry. And he struggled with an assurance inside of him. In 17, I think about 1735, he sat at his father's deathbed. And his father Samuel said to him, John, you need to seek the witness of the Spirit. You need to seek the witness of the Spirit. Romans actually had the verse, I didn't put it on the screen, Romans 8 says, God's spirit witness to our spirit that we are his children. And Samuel said to his son John, seek the spirit. John actually came here to Georgia as a missionary. It was an absolute disaster. He was on board the ship coming over and they went through a storm and he was cowering in his cabin, afraid to die. But he heard on the deck a group of Christians celebrating. So after the storm, he went up and he spoke to them. They were Moravian, uh, um, Moravian believers. And he said to them, why is it that you, in the middle of a storm, can rejoice? And they said, because we have the assurance of faith in our hearts. Well, Wesley had a disaster here, and he went back, and he actually went and visited the Moravians in Germany, and he struck up a friendship with Peter Boller, and they counseled a lot, and Peter and, and John said to his friend, Peter, he said, I'm just, I'm just struggling. I just don't have this faith. I don't have this assurance. And Peter said to him, you have to seek it. You have to go to God. You have to pray for it. Well, in about 
three or four years after he sat at his father's deathbed, John was invited to a Bible study in the book of Romans. And he went to it. And as a person leading the study, read from what Luther, Martin Luther wrote on a commentary about the book of Romans, John Wesley said he felt his heart strangely warmed. In fact, I'm going to read, I'm going to read that to you. He actually wrote this. He says, about 8.45 p.m., while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Do you have that assurance? If not, why not? I'm not suggesting some outlandish, miraculous experience. Maybe I shouldn't have used the word outlandish, because God can do the miraculous in your life. Absolutely. And, and whether it's an outward miraculous or just an inner witness, where God just kind of hugs you and loves you and says, you are my child. I love you. Seek that experience. And as you seek it, God might say, well, we've got this issue. We've got this issue. We need to fix this. Don't hold back. Let him clean all of that. And as you do that, we grow as contributors to the body of Christ. So we have people standing out there at the connections table. They're ready to sign you up to be a contributor. We have a long list of things that we need help with. But your highest priority, and, and I'm not saying that you cannot sign up there until you've got the assurance, but the highest priority in your life is for you to be fully surrendered to him. Allow him to do that. Let's pray. Just briefly, I'm going to walk you through each one of those five qualifications. And think about these as the Lord ministers to you. Being filled with the Spirit. And you might sense, I'm not filled with the Spirit. I'm lacking in my assurance. I'm lacking in my confidence. I'm lacking in my power. I'm finding I'm stumbling over the same sins over and over and over again. Pray and ask the Lord to fill you with His Spirit. You might say this morning, I've got a bad reputation. I've got so much mess in my past. Give it to the Lord. In fact, if you've served the Lord, if you've given your heart to the Lord, you should have surrendered this to Him long ago. And if the devil keeps bringing something back, then maybe, maybe there's something that you have to do. Maybe, maybe there's somebody you have to go and apologize to. Something you have to do to put right. But give the Lord your past. Don't let your desire to contribute be stymied because the devil's chaining you to your past. Surrender your past. Full of wisdom. The Bible tells us if we lack wisdom, we can ask him, and he will give us wisdom. Maybe there's an area of your life where you need an extra measure of wisdom because you don't know what to do. there's a person that you deal with that you're struggling to relate to and maybe even share your faith you need wisdom ask him full of faith you don't have a whole lot of faith in your walk with God for some reason your your faith maybe is tied to your self-esteem and you just don't feel worthy that you can call yourself a child of God. 
Faith is actually a gift from God. Ask Him for it. Ask Him to fill you with faith. And then grace. wonderful testimony when God takes a hardened, short-tempered individual and turns them into people of grace and patience. Maybe you lack grace this morning. You want God to fill you up with His grace. Father, thank you wonderful, wonderful individuals here bowed in your presence this morning. Thank you for saving us, Lord. We are not worthy for what you have done in us. And we are never worthy of what you do through us. We are your vessels. We invite you to take over us. Use our lips, our hands, our feet, our voice to be contributors to your body. And look deep inside of our hearts, Lord. And if there's anything that is lacking in us, that would cause us to not be that contributor, that would cause us to want to hold back because we don't think that we're good enough. Lord, I pray that, that you would show us. That. And Lord, if that's the devil, we, we resist that in Jesus' name. We claim the presence and the walk and the power of Christ in our lives maybe there's some here this morning who just need to step out in faith and contribute to your body and trust you to do the rest. Lead us all, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to respond physically and come to the altar and have someone pray with you on this side, as our worship team leads us, we encourage you to do that or come on this side and pray alone. Uh, Respond to the Lord as He leads you this morning. Free. 
freshly surrendered to him. Amen, church? Amen, church? Amen. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to let you go. You're dismissed, but uh, think about the way that God wants you to contribute. God bless you.